All right, everybody, this is your man, Jason Miles, and this is the Real Estate 360 podcast. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Listen, this is part two of the multifamily due diligence checklist, right? Uh, if you haven't seen part one, go check it out. Uh, you'll be able to hear me break down the first half of that checklist. You can also go right in the description and download that checklist. It's right here. Um, so if you're listening to your podcast, just scroll it's right at the top there in the description. It'll be right there. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's at the very, very top. The very first link, you'll be able to download this. So welcome. And we're going to get to part two of the multifamily due diligence checklist right after this. All right, welcome back, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Again, this is all about the multifamily due diligence checklist. So we have had a lot of people ask over the past several weeks about multifamily stuff and, and how do you evaluate a property, you know, the numbers of a property, how do you, what kind of documentation do you need? So what I'm doing now is simply sharing the things that we ask for. And, I, and again, I wanna say that a lot of the things that we ask for, for, for the kinds of properties that we're buying, basically who we're buying them from, they don't have a lot of these. Uh, so, but it's still very, very important to ask for these things. And some of these things you're going to get them, but some of them they're just not going to have. So, but you want to ask for them all. I can't stress it enough how important it is to ask for them all because it will show you where this property is weak. You may be able to look at it and determine it. And over time you will just from looking at certain things, but depending on the kind of financing you're going to be going for, especially if you want what we call agency debt, which is Fannie Freddie money, big, cheap money, right? They're going to ask you for the vast majority of these things, and you're going to be able to create these things, right? There are companies that are out there that will help you develop this um, um, package that needs to be sent to, uh, to the lender. But the more of it you can receive from the seller, the easier it's going to be on your pocketbook when hiring a company to do these kinds of things for you, right? Having said that, your broker can help you and a lot of them will help you as well. So let's get into it. Let's start off where we left off, right? So we talked a little bit uh, last week. We left off at uh, a schedule and description of all current and pending litigation and why that would be important. So now we are at copies of all required local permits, uh, term, termite letters or bonds, uh, certificates of occupancy, operating memorandums, any of those things that you would need if they did any major repairs before. So if, if they came in to do all of the electric or a roof or whatever major repairs, those things would have needed to be permitted. A lot of times, um, for insurance purposes, maybe you want to, you need to have an, a termite letter, or maybe you got a termite letter from the people, they got a termite letter from the people they bought it from because ha they had a, an inspection or, or whatever the case. Uh, these are all things that are going to be necessary. So you know what kind of condition the property is in. You know, if they tell you the roof was done three years ago, but there was no permit on it, it may not fly. It may not, you know, you may need now to 
redo that that roof. You know, these things are going to matter. So the information that you gather is going to depend on, how, you know, how you, well, it, how you present it is going to be dependent on the information that you gather. Okay. Does that make sense? Because if, if there's telling you that there were these major rent repairs and or renovations done, but it isn't permitted, that could pose a problem. You know, that could be a real big issue. The inspection is going to show all of these things, but again, it's really important that you understand what those things are. So do not overlook these things. Uh, when you have a conversation with the seller, if they don't have it and they said they did these things, you know, your inspector is going to come out and, and that's going to be a big thing because you're going to pay for the inspection anyway, right? So you just want to see what they have so that you know what to look for, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. So moving on to the next one, copies of all existing structural roof, mechanical inspections, or contractor reports. Now, again, depending on how long they had this property, they may not have these things. They may ha not have, you know, a report on the structure. They may not have ever done any of these things. They may not have had it inspected at all, but there are different different municipalities will do things a lot differently. So we've had properties in places that every time we get a new tenant, the property or at least the unit has to be inspected, right? And there's a cost for that. So when that inspector comes out and says, all right, this property is great, or hey, you know, this isn't up to code anymore. We need to change that, or we need to do this. These things, we have to keep all those recorded. You know, we have to keep all that so that when it's time for us to sell it, we can say, okay, we've had this unit inspected, this unit has been inspected X number of times, here are those inspection reports and so on and so forth. So it helps us when it's time for us to sell it. It would help them, your seller, if they had that information as well. But again, I, I, you know, more often than not, they just don't have it. They, they just, they don't keep it. I don't understand why, but they, but they don't. So you need to be aware of that though, because you're going to ask and it may be there, right? All right. And that's why it's important. So moving on, our next line item is current landlord, tenant log, council contact information. You're not going to see a lot of people have this at all, right? You know, a landlord tenant log, you're just not. And now it depends on management. There are some, how you may manage the property where anytime there is communication with any tenant, it's logged. That's great. That's perfect. But it doesn't always work that way, right? You want to do that if you can. Any good CRM system will help you do that, to be honest with you. But it all falls down to who's doing it, right? The people that you hire. Are they documenting every communication they had with every tenant every single time? Can that help you? Absolutely. Does it happen? Not normally. Not even with the big companies, right? Not even with the big companies. They don't always document, you know, the you know landlord-tenant communication. They just, they just don't because it does get tedious. You know, you want it to happen. You'd love for it to happen, but it doesn't always happen. So I say this to say, yet again, this is something you're probably not going to get. But you may, you may have some of that. You may have bits and pieces of that 
because of important conversations they had. So maybe there were letters that were exchanged and you know, there's just all kinds of different things. But again, you want to ask for it. You want to see if it's there. If that's something that you're implementing into your investment strategy, make sure you train your management staff very, very well. If you're going for outside management, a lot of times they don't want to change the way they manage. So, you know, that that is something that you're going to wind up having to deal with through your interview process if you're using outside management because it can be a problem if that's something that you really want to use or if you really want to implement it and they just they may not have the manpower or they feel they don't there may be two people in the office that's taking every single call and may not feel that it's important to put you know every communication down into a ledger but that's up to you to decide but don't expect to receive it all right all right so moving back into our next item here, which is our details of any neighborhood association requirements. So you'll be in some situations where you're buying properties where there are neighborhood associations and they want you to, you know, you may want to go in and paint it white or gray, you know, the building. And then the, the neighborhood association may have requirements where it needs to stay the brick color. But if there is a neighborhood association, you're going to find out by asking about this details of any neighborhood association requirements. If they, that they might not even know if there's requirements, but they will know if there's a neighborhood association because neighborhood associations have a tendency to make their presence felt, right? You're always going to have somebody that's running a neighborhood association that wants you to know they're in charge of something. So, you want to know if that exists. And if that does exist, then you're going to reach out to them and you're going to talk to them about what it is you want to do, you know, what kind of changes you want to make to the property, what they want, what they don't want, what they like, what they don't like, so that you don't go in and upset the natural order of things because it could be a thorn in your side. So asking about those neighborhood associations and any restrictions or requirements they have is going to benefit you as you move into, you know, phase one of your cleanup or renovation or whatever it is you're going to be doing with that particular property. Okay. All right. Going on to our next item, which is our property website service, hosting provider and login information. A lot of times there's an existing website for some of these, especially how we're working today. You know, you get people that are buying these, they throw up a, a really quick you know, Wix page or a landing page or something of that for their property where people can go and fill out an application. I mean, it just depends on how they want to operate it, right? Um, it always makes sense to have a website for your property because you can showcase it. You can showcase its features. You know, if you're building communities, you can talk about that. You can talk about what you do in order to, you know, to build that community. Uh, we would do um, we'd have tax services come in to the community and have conversations. We were in one property putting, you know, giving discounts to teachers for moving in there, police for moving into those communities, because um, it, it just made sense. It, 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 there was a, a sense of safety and community when you brought all this together and you did things for, for the community. So whatever it is you want to showcase, you do it on your website. People can look at the floor plans there. They'll know the square footage and the layout of the property. They'll know you can outline your, um, your application process, any fee structure that's in there. You can put all that right there. So 
when you send people to that page, I mean, there's a, just so many different things that you can do with a website. But without going into what you could do with a website, if there is an existing website, maybe you want to keep it. You definitely want to have control of it because there's a domain name associated with that property. Even if you're changing the name of the property, you want to own that website so that you can uh, divert any traffic that's going to that URL to the new URL. Meaning, if there are people out there that say, hey, I've got a, a website for 123 Main Street Apartments, I really like them, I want to move in, but you bought it in the interim. If, they, if you buy it and put up a new website and they go to 123 you know, Main Street Apartments, it may not be there, or they may fill out an application that's never going to go anywhere because those people don't run it anymore. You want to be in full and complete control of that process. So if they have a website that's going to be part of the sale, it's going to come to you with all whoever the hosting provider is, whatever the login information is, so that you can go in there and make the necessary changes and adjustments to whatever you're going to do with it. If you're going to redirect that URL to something new, or if you're just going to keep it and operate it as it is, it's completely and totally up to you, but you need to control it. You need to control it. Okay. Now, any site plans uh, that are going to be there, the lenders are going to ask you for site plans. They're going to ask you for all kinds of stuff. Uh, so if there is no site plan, because sometimes the current owner, they may not have that. You can go to the county records office and ask them for a previous site plan, or you can simply just get another one done. You call a surveyor, tell them you need a site plan. If there isn't one on record, or if they can't find it, depending on how old the property is, they may not be able to find it. And maybe they've never had one done before, depending on how long they've owned it. So if there's not one in place, you're going to go get a site plan. You're going to call up a surveyor, someone, and say, I need a site plan. You're going to wind up with a survey anyway, so you get the survey and the site plan. So these are things that if, if they have it, you don't have to pay for it. So you're trying to save yourself money from the very, very beginning. All the stuff that they give you is going to save you money, right? This is one that can save you a couple grand, actually. So if they have a site plan and it's a current site plan, nothing has changed around it. You know, there's been no, you know, listed flood or changes in flood zones or any of that. This is a good thing for you, right? Because you're going to want to have it. You're going to need it. And if they have it, it saves you money. Okay. All right. Moving on to the water and gas shutoff map. Why is that important? Well, it's important because you want to know if there's a situation, where do I need to go to turn the water or the gas off? If, if there's a leak in the gas line on the property as a whole, and you have no idea where the gas shutoff valve is, you could be in some real trouble, right? I mean, like for real. So you need to know where those things are. If there's a leak in the gas line, a leak in the water line, you need to be able to find the main. If you have a property that has, um, you know, multiple buildings on it, you know, you're going to need to know for each one of those buildings where the shutoff valves are in each one of those buildings. That's important for you. There's going to be one for the entire building and there's going to be one for the property as a whole. You need to know where those are and that map is going to be able to tell you. Now, maybe they don't have a map. They, they just know where it is. Well, you're going to detail that on your site map. You're going to write it down so you know where it is, so your inspector knows where it is and 
that's the kind of information that'll go on your site map, period, point blank. You want to know where these things are going to be. It's important. I can't, I can't stress that enough. Right. All right. Unit type and floor plans. So again, goes back to your website or, or any marketing material that you may have. Um, when you do, when you go to sell it and you have to put your operating man, uh, memorandum together or your OM, uh, they're going to want to know how these floor plans are laid out. If you're getting an appraisal, they're going to wind up doing a lot of that anyway. But again, if it's there, it helps your appraiser out. So they don't have to go. They're going to come in, they're going to look and they're going to measure. But if they've got a layout already, it's going to save them a bunch of time and it very well may save you, you know, a few hundred bucks, but saving money is saving money, right? So what is the unit type? Is it a two bedroom, one bathroom? Is it a three bedroom, two bathroom? You know, are they split levels? Are they, are they um, roommate style? What does the floor plan look like? You know, give me the layout. Where's the bedrooms, the bathrooms, the living room, the kitchen, you know, just like the bird's eye view of it. That's, that's the floor plan, what it looks like and the square footage, you know, so those are things that you're going to need. Absolutely things you're going to need. And then of course, as we talked about uh, before, you know, you're going to need that most recent survey. Maybe they have it. Maybe they don't. That's going to go with that site plan that we just talked about. Maybe they have it, maybe they don't. A lot of times they're not going to have it. And so you're going to have to go ahead and spring for it. So that's going to go, you know, kind of, kind of hand in hand with your financing. These are things that you need to know as soon as possible. So within days of you putting in your contract and, and sending this over, you're going to, if they don't have a site plan, if they don't have a survey, if they don't have a previous appraisal, not that that appraisal is going to help you out a ton, but it, it does. It, it helps you out to some extent. If they don't have any of that, you want to know within 24 to 48 hours of you putting in that contract or sending over your due diligence checklist, if they don't have it so that you have enough time to go out and hire a surveyor to get that information done for you as fast as possible, as fast as possible, because you, again, you may only have 30 days. You may have built in extensions based on how fast the information comes in again, but that that's important for you to be able to know so that you can make those kinds of decisions early in the process. So you can see where it's because if you call up an appraiser right now, they may say, look, we're three weeks out. If you've got, and then it's going to take them two weeks to do it. That's going to push you behind, put you well past your 30 day, you know, time frame. So, you know, in advance that you need to start working for that extension. Okay. Perfect. All right. Moving on, our most recent environmental report. Now you're, you, you can work with your surveyor. If you don't know of an environment, you know, someone that does an environmental uh, report in that area, you can work with your appraiser. Uh, you can work with the county, you know, whatever the municipality is, but guaranteed your lender is going to ask you for a current, a current environmental report every now and then depends on the property they'll ask you for the most recent one so if you're buying an older property and the most recent one is 20 years old you're going to wind up needing a new environmental report and hey again those can take a month so you need to know as soon as possible what it is you need to get because if you don't again it's going to push you past that that point uh you know that that closing date or at least the due diligence date 
And you want to make sure you know what's there so that you have time to put it in place. Okay. But you're going to need to have that. That's obviously very important. Uh, goes without saying that you're going to need to have your most recent uh, appraisal and the most recent termite and pest control. So you're going to have to get an appraisal. I mean, again, they may have their old appraisal from when they bought it, but you're definitely going to need to have a new appraisal for the new financing because obviously, well, presumably you're going to pay more money for it than they paid for it, right? They want to be in this thing for a profit. Not, not necessarily that's going to be the case, but presumably that's the way it's going to go down. So the current appraisal is obviously going to tell you what the current value is based on your contract. So if your contract is for a million dollars and the appraiser says, there's no way this property is worth a million dollars as it sits, it'll show it that way. Now, the other side of that, it, let's say it's worth 1.2, 1.5 million. The appraiser isn't going to say that on there either. He will not, they will not go past whatever that contract price is. That's, that's not what they do. That's a different kind of an appraisal. They just want to make sure that it is worth at least what you said it's worth in that contract, period, point blank. That's what your lender is going to want to see. That's what your um, broker is going to need to see. I mean, this is just a part of the process. You got to know that. And if you're investing in real estate, I'm pretty sure you know that. Okay. Boom. All right. The next one is construction as built plans. Now I've only gotten this one time, once. It, your lender is not necessarily going to require it, uh, it, but you're going to ask for it because maybe it's there. Um, and maybe your lender is asking you for it, but you're going to have to try to find a way to get it. Now, if you can't get it, they're going to have to go ahead and say, okay, we, we don't need it, but you'll wind up going all the way to the, to the city or the county, whatever the muni uh, municipality is and asking for the construction plans for that particular property. Again, depending on how old it is, they may or may not have it. If they don't have it, your lender isn't going to require you to go get new plans, right? It, they're not going to require you to do that because it wouldn't be accurate. So they wouldn't make you do that, but ask for it because it very well may be in existence somewhere. And if it is, that helps you out a great deal. All right. So we're down to our last few now. Three years of property tax returns. You want the form 825. What is the form 825 and why is it important? Right now, the form 825. Now this goes back to the financing. Form 825 is basically for partnerships or, you know, S corps, things like that. And it's for rental real estate, rental properties. You know, it, it's an income and expenses and it shows net income and net losses. That, that's what it shows, the 825. Now, there's a Schedule E for individuals. It's similar to the 825, uh, 8825, but it's different because if you're buying it from an individual, they're not going to have an 8825 because an 8825 is just for partnerships, S-Corps, you know, corporation, LLC, whatever, you know, and as an individual, you're going to have a Schedule E. So really on that form there, there should be three years of tax returns for, uh, for the uh, asking for the form 8825 or the Schedule E 
if they're an individual filing and not filing as a corporation. But it's almost the exact same thing. It's going to show you income. It's going to show you loss. It's going to show you the things that they deducted. So you can get a very, very clear view of what they're telling the tax, the tax man, what they're telling the IRS, which could be different from what they're telling you. You have to determine how you want to act on that information if there is a difference, because there very well may be a difference. And, and I can tell you that nine times out of 10, there is. <laughs> There is a difference, but you want to see it so that you can determine how you want to move forward with the difference in those numbers, because there will be. But again, remember, you're going to ask for an 8825 if you're buying it from a partnership, a company, something like that. You're going to ask for a Schedule E, as in Echo, if it's an individual. If you're buying it from Mr. or Mrs. Johnson, you're going to get a Schedule E, right? So know that as well, because so, it's different. They're similar. But it's different because if you're asking an individual for an 8825, they're not going to know. They're going to talk to their tax person. It could waste time and you don't want to do that. You want to you want to move it along as possible. So if you know it, then you'll be able to share that information with them. Schedule E for individuals. Now, three years of operating account bank statements. Why is that important? This is important because it shows you for real, for real, the cash flow that's coming in. Now, if they're taking payments in cash, if they're taking, you know, today cash app payments, things like that, obviously that's not going to show up. But if, if you're operating effectively, you're not going to be taking cash payments because there's no accounting of it. You, the person could have paid you, right, or paid that person, the current owner. The current owner could say they never got it. You know, I mean, there's all kind of shenanigans that can go down that way, but there's no clear accounting of where that money is. So... If they're operating effectively in any way, shape, or form, those three years of bank statements, or as long as you can get from them, because now you can just go online and you can go back five years and you can get stuff. But it's important for you to get those bank statements because it shows you if what they're telling you is correct or incorrect. It shows you any inconsistencies in the rent rolls, right? It shows you if there's uh, a slower time of the year where people are having a hard time paying their rent. I mean, it shows you all this stuff. You can see lags over time. Three years is a very, very good indicator of showing you these peaks and valleys that can pop up and they will pop up. Patterns are always emerging when you give it time. That's why we ask for three years and not 12 months. Okay. All right. Moving on to our last one now. We are at three years of insurance loss history. Why do we want to know insurance loss history? Well, because if they filed a claim on a new roof, let's say, let's say a big storm came through and they got all this hail and, you know, they filed a claim to put this new roof on, but there's no new roof. Okay. These are real big issues at this point because now, they, if they don't have that new roof, but they filed a claim and then were paid for that roof, we're going to be asking for uh, for a, a lower um, a price point because we know for sure we got to come back and replace that roof. We know we have to at this point. Like there's no question, and may, and maybe we were planning on it already. Maybe we were planning on it based on our offer, but knowing that they'd already been paid out, they've already been paid for that. And if they were paid whatever they were paid, we're going to take that much money off of our asking price because 
that's just the way it is. I mean, maybe maybe the number will will vary here or there, but we're definitely taking something off that price because they were paid for something that they did not do. And now we have to pay for it a second time, meaning they got paid once and now they're going to get paid twice as if it was already fixed because now we're borrowing money to pay them their full asking price, even though they've been paid to do something they haven't done. So we want compensation for that. So this checklist is all about making sure that you have clarity in the investment opportunity that's in front of you. You're getting the information three or four different ways. So it doesn't matter how it was presented to you by gathering all this data or as much of it as possible, you're gonna, there's nothing that can, can be hidden from you financially at this point. The numbers do not lie. They simply don't lie. So you're just going to have to make sure that you gather as much of this information as possible and look through it, put it together, get with your team, make the decision of do we give them what we've offered? Do we go back to the table and renegotiate based on you know, what we have found in our information gathering process, in our due diligence time period, or do we walk away from the deal? What are we going to do? This is going to help you do all that without wasting a bunch of time or really any significant amounts of money. Now, you'll spend some money, especially if you have a team. You have people going out there gathering data for you. You know, there's a lot of different things that are going to cost your inspection, inspectors. You know, those things are going to cost you money, right? So you want to be very clear with the seller or the seller's representative in advance. Hey, these are the things I'm going to need before we enter into this contract. How likely is it that I'm going to get this information or a significant amount of it? And they may tell you, look, I'm not going to be able to get you almost any of this stuff. You're going to have to figure it out. At that point, you get to make another decision. Do you want to figure it out? Because most of the information you can get from the county, from the utility companies, you know, just, you know, tax assessor. I mean, you can get a lot of that stuff, right? You can get enough to make, uh, you're going to get the rent rolls. You're going to get all that. You're going to get the leases. I mean, there's a lot of it you will get. There's a lot of it you probably aren't going to get. But do you want to move forward? Do you want to put, put forth the effort to make this deal a possible deal for you? Do you want to just give them a lowball offer and say, look, I've got to figure all this stuff out. If I'm going to do that, uh, I need some kind of compensation for that because that's what we do, period. That's exactly what we do. So that is the due diligence checklist for multifamily. Again, if you want to get a copy of this, it's right here in the description below. Uh, if you're, again, listening to this podcast, it'll be in the first line. If you're watching it uh, on YouTube, it'll be the very first uh, downloadable link, the very first link, actually. So you'll see it in blue and uh, download it. Put it to work in your business. Let me know if you have any other questions based on these, uh, this checklist. Maybe you think there should be something else in there that's not in there. I, I think it's pretty thorough, but maybe there is something that I haven't gotten in there that you think needs to be in there. Let me know about uh, how you feel about this checklist, but put it to work in your space. Make sure you're not missing anything. Make sure you're not leaving any money on the table. This is going to help you do that. So thank you again, guys. I appreciate you guys watching and listening. Make sure that you check out the first part of this if you haven't. 
My name is Jason Miles, Real Estate 360, and I look forward to working with you guys in the future. I love real estate. Peace.